This week on the Myths and Legends podcast, we'll continue the story of Yvain and see how he not only turns his horrible circumstances around to a huge advantage, but then squanders that advantage nearly immediately. He'll end up going crazy, riding around naked in the woods, killing and eating animals. In the Mythological Creature of the Week segment at the end of the show, we'll talk about changelings and how, by boiling water and eggshells, you can tell if your baby has been switched out for a troll. This is the Myths and Legends Podcast, Episode 1B, You're So Yvain. For these multi-part stories, I'll start at the episode with a super brief recap of the story so far. It's likely that a week or longer has gone by for you between episodes, and this is just meant as a brief refresher. This is Part 2 of the story, and probably not the best place to jump in, so if you want to hear the story in its entirety, it starts in Episode 1A. Yvain is a knight of King Arthur's court, the mythological king ruling from Camelot. His cousin was shamed by a knight years prior while investigating a magic fountain, and he just told Yvain and the others about it when they were sitting around drinking after a feast. Arthur decreed that he would gather up his forces and pay this belligerent knight a visit. Yvain, however, wanted to avenge his cousin and leaves a full two weeks before Arthur's forces. He picks a fight with the knight by pouring the water from the spring on a magical stone. After a long fight, he mortally wounds the knight, who he chases back to his castle. Eventually, he finds himself trapped, his horse dead, with an angry town and castle closing in on him. With half of his horse lifeless next to him, and the floor of the entryway slick with its blood, Yvain begins to panic. Gates had come down on both sides, and the entryway was bare except for one door behind him. He can hear noises in the surrounding town through one portcullis, and through the other he can see an imposing castle, no doubt full of knights like the one he just battled with. He knew that if mobs blow didn't tear him apart, he would only be preserved to die at the hand of the castle's lord. There was one door behind him, and he scrambled to it, finding it locked. He backed up, and noticed a figure standing at the castle side of the gate. He instinctively drew his sword, but then relaxed. It was a beautiful woman. She introduced herself as Lunette, and told him that he needed to be quiet and act quickly, because the men of the castle were coming. She slipped off to the side out of view, and Yvain stood there dumbfounded for a few seconds, until he heard a noise behind him. The woman had unlocked the door and motioned frantically for him to come in. He went in and noticed it was a bedroom, possibly for whomever was on watch duty, and tried to flee through the door to the castle's interior, but the woman stopped him. She told him that he had to stay there, because the whole castle had been alerted, and they would surely see him if he tried to leave now. Yvain asked her why she was helping him, because didn't he just kill a knight from her castle? She replied that she knew who he was the moment she saw him, because she had seen him before. She had been to King Arthur's court, and he was the only knight there that had treated her with any degree of respect. Since he had said words to her in the past, she will demonstrate a confusing amount of loyalty to him throughout the story. She produced a ring from her pocket, and told Yvain that this would make him invisible. Its effect, and I quote, would be like bark on wood, which covers it so that it cannot be seen. The ring must be worn with the stone clasped in the wearer's palm, and that way no one, no matter how wide he opened his eyes, would be able to see the wearer. Essentially, it becomes as invisible as wood hidden behind something else. This is actually the root of the common phrase, still in use to this day, that something hard to find is as invisible as wood. She told him that as long as he remained completely still on the bed, anyone searching the room would be unable to see him. He put on the ring, and the sloppy wood metaphor held true. He was invisible.
Almost on cue, the door from the castle burst open, and armed men poured into the room. Outside, townsfolk gathered beyond the portcullis, which was raised to allow the men to search. Since there was no other exit than either through the portcullis or through the door to the castle, they knew whoever killed the knight had to have been in there. They upended the whole room, tearing everything apart, but still could not see Yvain on the bed. Outside in the castle's courtyard, there was a horrible screen. The wife of the knight, the lady of the castle, had discovered her husband lying dead next to his horse. She was beside herself, and began tearing her clothes and ripping out her hair. Frantic and sobbing, she ran to join the search. They dragged the knight's body into the room, and, because this is apparently a thing, the wounds on the dead knight resumed bleeding. As anyone would in this situation, the searchers assumed that because the dead knight's body bled, the killer was still nearby. This, I'm sure, is an investigatory technique still in practice today, but it didn't help the searchers, of course, because Yvain remained invisible. Yvain, however, found himself focused on the sobbing, hysterical widow of the man he just killed. She cried out to God that she didn't understand how anyone could best her husband, how he was this kind, caring, gentle, generous man who only wanted to protect his people. He didn't deserve what happened. When the bulk of the search party left the torn apart room, Lunette came back. She said that there would be a funeral procession for the knight. Yvain asked who the knight was that he killed, and he learned that he was no mere knight, but the lord of the castle and the ruler of the surrounding lands. He was well loved by his people, and Lunette told him that if Yvain, a strange knight, was found trying to sneak out of the castle at this time, he would be summarily executed. He only needed to wait a day or so, and then he could leave once things had died down. Hours passed, nearly a day, and Yvain stayed in the safety of the room, still hidden by the ring. He found himself able to look out a small window, and was able to see the knight's funeral procession. He watched the train of people mourning this great man, and he was actually angry that they were burying him, for no other reason than that all proof, anything that he could take back to the mockers that said that Yvain couldn't avenge his cousin, would be buried with the knight. These feelings of anger were outweighed, though. He watched the lady of the castle, the widow of the man Yvain had killed, as she was grieving her husband, and was struck by how beautiful she was. He found himself falling in love with her. When Lunette came back, she informed Yvain that it was safe for him to leave the room, and she could move him to a place where he could move around more freely while trying to figure out a way to get him safely out of the castle. When he made it safely to this other room, he mentioned that he saw the lady of the castle mourning today, and perhaps he didn't want to leave after all. Lunette immediately picked up on the meaning, nodded, and said that she would see what she could do. She left him to tend to her duties in the castle. Her duties, as it turned out, were tending to the lady of the castle, as she was the woman's personal servant. She found the lady weeping in her chamber, and actually chastised her boss for being so showy in her grief, because her husband was killed and apparently she should just brush it off. Lunette wished aloud that God would bring her lady another husband, a better one, a comment over which her lady was understandably enraged. Lunette then reminds her that they heard King Arthur's coming to take their magical fountain from them, and none of their knights could defend it, as the best one is dead. If she only knew of a knight more powerful than the one that they used to defend the fountain. In fact, Lunette implies, she might know someone like that. Someone far more worthy to be with her than her former husband. Her lady tells her never to mention this again, and demands that she leaves. Though, later on in the night, in a truly facepalm-worthy moment, the lady thinks about the compelling argument Lunette made, and realizes that this mystery knight who killed her husband apparently never did her harm and never meant to. 
The next day, she calls Lunette back and inquires about this night she hinted at. Lunette tells her about Yvain, but says he is four days away. The lady says if Lunette will summon him, she will marry him. Four days pass with Yvain secretly getting ready in the castle. Lunette brings him clothes, he bathes each day, and at the end of this time, Lunette takes him to the lady's chamber, acting as if he had just ridden a long way. The lady, however, is not fooled. She knows Lunette is the knight who killed her husband. Yvain is nervous, but tells the lady that love has brought him here, and that he's completely in her power. He feels that he did no wrong in killing her husband. In his mind, Yvain was only defending himself. The fact that he knew the knight would attack him for messing with the fountain is conveniently omitted. She agrees, and absolves him of all sins. He tells her he loves her, and agrees to be the one to rush out and guard the magical fountain, and she agrees to marry him. I'll try to avoid editorializing with these stories, but in a world that, so far, contains a creepy peasant watching over a field full of animals he controls in a magic spring, as well as magic rings, and eventually giants, dragons, demons, and friendly lions, I find this marriage to be the most unbelievable part of the story. Her husband's body is barely cold, and she's marrying his killer. From a modern perspective, this part of the story is absolutely ridiculous. I once had a professor of medieval literature talk about how, if we were able to sit down and talk with someone from the Middle Ages, it would be like talking to a space alien. The time and culture were so radically different from what we know, with all pervasive death and violence. For example, when this story was being told in Europe, the Crusades were happening in Jerusalem, and the Vikings were slaughtering monks in the north. It was truly a different world, and that's something to consider when reading these stories. That being said, I'll keep commenting on the absolutely ridiculous parts of these stories, because they tend to take themselves entirely too seriously. Yvain, who started off as mildly interesting, has moved into being somewhat sinister. He killed her husband, and she is trapped into taking him as a husband because an army, his army, is approaching to take her fountain, and she needs someone to ride out and defend it. The whole story flows a lot better if you cast aside all the flowery love language dripping with sentimentality and accept the marriage for what it was, Yvain and King Arthur essentially conquering this castle and taking ownership of the magic fountain, with a great deal of whitewashing with the courtly love theme to make it all a bit more palatable. I understand that it was a different, more violent time, but I can't accept that this character, who was tearing her hair out in anguish from her husband's death, would willingly marry his killer, declaring herself in love with him. They get married, and it's said that Yvain is loved by the people, who don't know that he is the killer of their former lord. In fact, it's said that the lady and her people love him so much that they completely forget about their former lord. Yvain had married his wife, taken his lands, and apparently earned the love of all his people, all in retaliation for what the knight had sworn to do by defeating, but not killing, Cologrenant. It's a bit of overkill. It's as if someone makes a mean comment to someone else you know, and you respond by blowing up their house seven years later. Meanwhile, King Arthur had arrived at the fountain, and decided that he really wanted to see what all the hubbub was, so he has Kay pour water on it and challenge the night. A massive storm arises, but then subsides. The fountain's new champion, Yvain, rides out and does battle with Kay, quickly dehorsing him without killing him, not at all sensing the irony of the situation. He reveals himself to be Yvain, puts Kay in his place, and they all rode happily back to the castle. 
They accept King Arthur now as a guest instead of a conqueror, and his court stayed there for eight days. Yvain was now completely victorious. He had avenged his cousin, and then some. He had a title, land, a beautiful wife, and had put the mocking K in his place. All he needed to do was look after his land, guard the magical fountain, and be a decent husband. After a short talk with Gawain, another knight in King Arthur's court, Yvain decides that he will not look after his land, guard the fountain, or be a decent husband, in the interest of going adventuring with his buddies. He needs to build a reputation, after all, because that's truly what his wife will respect. If he doesn't remain well-known in the land, his wife's love will quickly leave him, and he'll be greatly shamed by allowing his marriage to deteriorate the great man he once was. He agrees with Gawain, and asks his wife for a favor in private. She agrees to grant him a favor, essentially trapping herself to agree to whatever he asks, since she would otherwise go back on her word. He asks for leave to go adventuring, since if he doesn't, his fellow knights will see him as a coward. She reluctantly agrees, on the condition that he'd be back in the castle one year later, or else he would lose her love forever. He laughs and says he would be back way before that year is up, because he loves her so much. She smiles and gives him another magic ring, the effect of which means he cannot be imprisoned, lose any blood, or have any ill befall him, because why not? He left later on that day, after being newly married for less than two weeks, tears streaming, vowing to be back in less than a year. One year and one day later, Scumbag Yvain is sitting around a bonfire in Camelot, thinking that he was forgetting something. The realization dawned on him when he saw a woman ride up on a dappled horse with a message for him. He was called a liar, deceiver, cheat, and a thief. She says the lady never wants to see him again, and demands that he give the ring back. He gave her the ring and ran away sobbing like a toddler. He kept going, but was dismayed by civilization because it reminded him of what he had lost. He needed to go out in the wild, to be by himself. He was so distraught that in an instant he apparently goes completely mad. He tears off his clothes, and insane, naked Yvain is now wandering the wilds. He comes upon a youth out hunting with a bow and arrow, and steals it from him. He lives in this madness, shooting animals, and eating the meat raw. week, who, by his own petulant selfishness, is absolutely worse off than when he started. Next week, we'll conclude the story of Yvain, with him being once again bailed out from his poor choices two more times by young women, but still claiming all the credit for himself, because, after all, he's the hero. Before we go into the Mythological Creature of the Week segment, I want to ask you to please, if you've enjoyed the show, rate us on iTunes. If you haven't found us on iTunes, you can go to iTunes dot myth podcast m-y-t-h podcast dot com you can also go to mythpodcast.com to see more about the show with extras transcripts pictures and all sorts of things uh, please leave a comment there and let me know how what you think of the show or once again leave a comment in itunes i really appreciate the feedback and it's super super helpful all right so on to the creature of the week The mythological creature of the week is the slightly funny, but actually incredibly sad, changeling. The changeling is not a creature itself, but rather one that has been swapped out for a human baby. In the Middle Ages, people thought that supernatural creatures like trolls, fairies, or elves would come in the night and swap out a healthy human baby for their sickly baby. 
There are a range of reported motivations for doing this, from having the human baby eventually grow up to be a servant, or simply because the creatures liked human babies and wanted to have one. One belief was that trolls thought it was in vogue, or classy, to have their troll babies raised by humans, and therefore wanted to give the babies a human upbringing. To keep this from happening, one could place iron near their baby as they slept at night, because at least in Scandinavian folklore, most mythological creatures were afraid of iron. The ways to get your baby back from trolls range from bizarre to downright tragic. One way to do it is to somehow cook an entire family meal in an eggshell. This will drive the changeling baby, the troll, to say, yes, say, I've been alive for a hundred years, but I've never seen anything like this, and vanish, leaving the human baby in its place. The sadder stories involve parents mistreating their babies in an attempt to get the trolls, who are apparently watching, to relent and return their healthy, happy babies. Sadly, this was a way the people at the time could understand things like birth defects and congenital disorders. Ignorance or not, this is just plain horrible. Thank you so much for listening this week. Really appreciate it. And once again, please let me know what you think of the show. Our theme song that you're hearing right now is by the band Broke for Free. And the Mythological Creature of the Week segment music is by Steve Combs. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you next week on the Myths and Legends podcast. (laughs) 